you know, the Buckeyes have historically had a rough time uh, after the after the bye week, but. Uh, and Northwestern, while they are surprising a lot of teams out there, uh, this should be uh, a game that Ohio State can win uh, at noon on Saturday. Uh, they finish up the season uh, with uh, Illinois and then the big game against Michigan at home this year. Uh, all eyes, though the Buckeyes were hoping for a, a national championship game, will be on Penn State right now. We laid out the uh, roadmap for a Penn State national championship, and if that happens, the Buckeyes do have a shot at the Rose Bowl. Uh, whether or not we want to see uh, USC for the second time or if we want to settle for an Outback Bowl or Capital One Bowl against an SEC team remains to be seen. Uh, but for now, we'll take it one game at a time as usual, and uh, we'll take on Northwestern this week. That about wraps up the cycle, and let's head to the main event. And now, and now the main, main event. event. All right, folks, welcome to this week's main event. As promised, uh, our guest for this week is Lane Atkins of the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, Lane? Hey, good evening. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for being with us. Um, obviously, we've picked uh, the Browns this week as our main event, uh, not only because uh, there is no Indians and the Cavs are just getting warmed up, but uh, easily the biggest news in, in, some, in most of football, uh, let alone in Cleveland, has been the, the transition from uh, Derek Anderson to Brady Quinn. Um, oh. I, guess, I guess first uh, first question is, Aside from, I mean, I had a chance to read your uh, what we've been uh, what we've been told piece, but I guess gut gut reaction from from you. Uh, what are, what are, what's your take on this move? Uh, I think it's a move that could have been and should have been made a couple weeks ago. Maybe looking back at the Washington game, you know, the, the timing timing is questionable. You're looking at a backup quarterback who's you know, sat on the bench for the last year and a half, so he should know the system. He's a bright kid, you know, walking into a situation at home in a short week. And the benefit is that he's playing against a team that has a one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So you have to figure Denver has a problem getting to the quarterback, applying pressure. They don't they don't defense the run well. And injuries in the defensive backfield make them vulnerable in the secondary. You know, it's the kind of situation that just may be beneficial for Brady Quinn and the Browns on Thursday night. How uh, I know we've there's been rumors uh, going back and forth about who made this decision. Um, you read uh, comments from players like uh, Braylon Edwards and Willie McGinnis in today's Plain Dealer, uh, and then coupled with uh, your reports as well as the team itself, it seems like only Romeo Cornell believes that Romeo Cornell made this decision. And uh, I know while you mentioned it today. Um, what what is the, the the belief that that he had actual any say in this, and it wasn't Phil Savage making the move himself? Well, I wouldn't discredit Romeo Cornell for not being involved in the decision process. You know, I I absolutely believe that this is something that he has pondered for the last couple of weeks, something that he had a tough time getting himself to. And I don't have much of a doubt in my mind from talking to people around within the organization that. Some of the guys sitting at the upper level of the, the Browns organization wanted this change to be made. They let Romeo, they gave him the rope, they let him go with it. I think it came to the point in time, the embarrassment of the way this team lost Sunday at home against Baltimore, which Derek Anderson was effective until really the fourth quarter, and the wheels came off the wagon, which has been a, a trade of his since midway of last season. He has troubles finishing games. His inconsistencies, you know, it's just to the point where I think, yes, Cornell made the move. I think there was influence to help him get to that move. I've uh, personally heard some rumors that 
the practices, uh, the team meetings, uh, the more locker room-based atmospheres have, have been almost compared to a country club atmosphere with uh, players doing whatever they want, uh, no real leadership. Um, is any of this a testament to how the, the team felt about Derek Anderson? And with Brady Quinn being a more of a leadership-type player coming from his Notre Dame starting background, first-round draft pick, being the guy, uh, as you mentioned in your piece, um, did the team actually start to sour up on Anderson, and will that change, or is is this a lost cause? You know, if we're look, if we're going to talk about leadership, you know, there's two different types of leadership. There's leadership that you get from your head coach and your coaching staff. Then you got veteran leadership that's within your roster. I believe that the veteran leadership within the roster is as such where it helps police and maintain some of that stability and continuity within the roster. It's the coach isn't nearly as hands-on as some other coaches in the game, we can, like a like a Bill Cower was, or like a Mike Tomlin. Different type of situation. Veteran yeah, players. Then who would who would be considered the veteran leadership? I'm assuming Willie McGinnis, but I mean, well, is anyone really listening to Phil Dawson? <laughs> well, the special team guys do. You know, actually, Phil has a good reputation. The guy's been here since the beginning, but you know, he's not that just that vocal guy at the top of the stage, you know, a guy like Willie McGinnis. You know, he came back for one last season. It wasn't all just because he wanted to play another season of football. He did it for the head coach. He wanted to have the opportunity to maybe win again. Um, I think that's where the fine line is drawn. I don't think there's a strong leadership base from the staff of the Cleveland Browns organization to the roster as compared to the players policing themselves. If you watch this team, if you see him in training camp, it's, things were very laid back this year. We would hear Romeo talk about how we have veteran players here. we got to take it a little easier. They know how to get in shape. And, and the players said the same thing. You go out in the preseason and you're, you go 0 for 4. You start the regular season and you, and you look just as poorly in the first three games or so of the season as you did in the preseason. There's something to be said. Yes, we can say injuries were a factor, and they are. But the only problem is that this team did not look like it's been prepared to play football on more than one or two occasions this year. You know, we're looking going into the the ninth week of the season here. And uh, obviously this week, you know, Braylon, or uh, I'm sorry, Derek Anderson has seemed to have been the fall guy for for this this, uh, lack of success. Um, And... Uh, well, he has obviously been been getting beaten up pretty good by by our site and our readers. Um, a guy that has had uh, his fair share of beatings as well uh, from all parties has been Braylon Edwards. Uh, you have a guy who is coming off a career year. Uh, had an interview with Sports Illustrated saying at one point last year he was considering wanting to leave Cleveland. Uh, he mm-hmm. didn't feel like this he was going to succeed here, and actually winning last year made him change his mind. And I threw the idea out there during that time that if we didn't have a successful season this year, would he revert back to the way he was? Uh, Since then, we've had him running around practice without shoes on, missing the preseason. We've had him having an epic amount of dropped footballs. We've had him being booed mercilessly on countless times, um, especially in that Baltimore game when he dropped that long pass. Um, while we were able to, you know, back up and, and switch out quarterbacks and, you know, switch Brady Quinn in for Derek Anderson, what is or what do you feel would be the ultimate fate of, of Braille Edwards as a Cleveland Brown? 
why you look at Braylon Edwards, and it, you know he lacks focus. So this is a young guy. He has some some issues. He's not very disciplined. He matured a lot prior to last season. He his team got on a hot streak, and he played well. Now we're seeing he's taking a step back. You can question what he did in the off season. You know, when I look at a guy like him and I see how he practiced and I see how he performs in the game, you know, I'm looking at a guy who has a problem with the concentration, with his focus. His head's not in it. He's a guy who needs to be involved. He needs the football. And he's a guy that's killed his team with 12 or 13 drops this season. And as you mentioned, he dropped the, the long pass from Derek Anderson against the Ravens last Sunday, which could have put the Browns back up on top late in that game. You know, so we're, we're looking at a guy who's young, still rather immature. He has a lot of growing and development to do. And I don't think he's handling the pressure of the situation very well when he's the first one to have his face in the cameras, talk about himself, talk about the team, and then run away and not face the same questions when he drops a few passes. In the end game, if Braylon Edwards doesn't step up and show he's that number one receiver, chances are this team isn't going to extend no five-year, $60 million type of dollar deal to this guy. It's just it's the reality of the situation. You look back at a guy like Derek Anderson, the same story. You know, a guy that was on the cut from the Ravens, they're trying to sneak him on the practice squad. Savage signs him, he gets him in here, he sits a while. He finally gets the starting opportunity. As a starter, now Derek Anderson's a 500 quarterback. Even with the terrific start, that stretch that he played during the first half of the season last year, you know, the time that come due, you know, his inconsistency and inabilities have put him in that precarious situation where now Brady Quinn is thrust in there. Brady Quinn's a leader. Brady Quinn's a manager. I think Brady Quinn is going to open up a lot of eyes in this organization Thursday night when he steps on the field. I sure hope so. And it, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, the Braille Edwards thing because we, we mentioned the same thing it, it just in passing to each other on the site that after that Monday night football game, you know, he was the first person with the post-game interview on the field. And then you haven't heard from him since. Uh, he I, Actually, the words that I read from him talking about Derek Anderson and Brady Quinn this afternoon were the first that I've heard from him all week. And it's actually, it's for, for a guy who was supposed to be the number one receiver on this team, it's, it's actually pretty telling. And I guess I'll just switch to the other side of the field on the receiver side with Dante Stallworth. Um, is there, obviously, it's almost like he's, we almost feel like he's a lost cause at this point because, yes, he, we're 2 and 1 when he's on the field, but getting him on the field seems to be more of a chore than anything. Are there any grumblings going on behind the scenes that this guy maybe there is a reason why he's been on so many different teams through the course of his career? Well, if you track back to when Dante Stallworth came in the league out of Tennessee, there's obviously he has a history and he's had. There's been speculated problems that he's had with attitude or injury, you know, this and that. Same story, he comes into Cleveland, and we get into, the, into a camp session, and he's hurt, and he couldn't practice right from the get-go. He had a hamstring problem working out. You know, he gets in the camp, and, he's, and Dante Stallworth looks fine. Leading up to this, the opener this year, pulls a quad, you know, People tell us that it wasn't significant. It was significant enough to keep him out of the first four games or so of the season. You know, we've seen him pull up lame in the Jacksonville game on the Steve Hyden reception on the fourth and one call. You know, you can see the guys hurt. But the only problem is, is that a quad injury, it's a difficult one to really be able to be near 100% to play with or be explosive with. You know, and it's, 
the perception is that the guy, he's been basically a waste because he's only been in three games, he's only caught a few balls. You know, if, if they could find a way to get this guy on the field, he, he's a viable option. He's a threat that does help open up the underneath game, and it does prevent the defense from, you know, wanting to walk up. You have a vertical presence there. The only problem is, is this quad three thing isn't the first time that he's had this type of issue. The staff feels here that the only way they can do anything is by rest and give him the opportunity. He was out on the field. We didn't get to see see the practice, so we don't know exactly what went on. We know he was in uniform. But we're hoping to find out something later tonight when I talk to a couple guys to see if Dante really did anything besides show up. And I guess if, even if he did show up and, you know, if he was dressed, I mean, that's probably a little more than we've read about guys like Steinbeck, uh, Sean Rogers, Lawrence Vickers, and Corey Williams. Uh, what what are the likelihood that obviously I, I I really don't think we'll have Steinbeck back. Um, what uh, with Rogers and Williams, I mean those two would be uh, huge given the the Mike Shanahan run game. Um, what are the likelihood of, of missing them this week? Well, the indications are that Rogers and Corey Williams will play. It doesn't look good for Lawrence Vickers and Eric Steinbach. And you know Steinbach could be a telling blow. He has a. a Muscle cartilage-type injury in his rib cage. Nothing that's going to keep him out for a significant length of time, but it does look like he isn't going to play Thursday night. From what I hear, he's going to, they're going to, he's going to try to suit up and, and work out prior to the game to see if he can go. You know, Seth McKinney ends up sliding in his spot at left guard. You know, it's a, it's a significant downgrade on a short week with an inexperienced quarterback, issues at wide receiver. It's just going to be, it's going to be an interesting game come 8-15 on Thursday night to see what happens because, you know, injuries are a factor in the game. They're everywhere. Denver's all banged up. But Eric Steinbach is one guy the team at this time could at least afford to lose. Right, I agree. It was actually surprising when he was supposed to miss a couple weeks uh, not too long ago in the season and he ended up playing in that next game. And that was, that was huge for us. Um, and I haven't read anything, but is there any reason why – Jamal Lewis didn't play those last three drives, and uh, they put right in there at running back. They were looking to mix up the tempo and get into a shorter passing game, which they feel that Jason Wright is their best receiving running back in the backfield. You know, what came down to those last three drives is it wouldn't have mattered if you had Fred Bolitnikoff and every second glued <laughs> receiver in the league out there. You know, they, that offense – executed as poorly in those later stages of that game and it has it had all year. And it was just it was just an inexcusable thing that really set not just people on the sidelines off, but the guy sitting up there in the booth who writes the checks. It there was just no reason for it. They exposed the weakness in the Ravens defense. Even though they didn't capitalize on the opportunities of playing and, it, and stretching the defense with those defensive backs, but they were able to move the football. The Ravens didn't do much different defensively from midway point of the third quarter on except execute. Ravens played well. Browns offense didn't execute, and it got you where we are today. Uh, I find it interesting you said just real quick that uh, Wright is they're considered to be the best receiving back. Uh, why not Jerome Harrison? Well, they look at Jason Wright, and they feel that he's a uh, – He's a well-rounded back. I mean, he is a good receiving type back out of the backfield. He's he's proven to be dependable in the role. Jerome Harrison, he, he makes little mistakes here and there, and he's third on the depth chart because he, I guess you could say, he hasn't proven to his staff that he's capable of having more of a hands-on 
substantial role in the offense this game. Personally, I don't agree. I, I watched this kid run the football in college. I've seen this kid run the football in the preseason and practice sessions. This kid's a player, and if he's not going to be a player in Cleveland, if he gets the opportunity somewhere else, he's going to show that he can play. You know, it's it's really disappointing because he has characteristics of an of an explosive quality type player that brings a different presence to this offense, something that it lacks at this time. And I just it's unfathomable to me why. You know, number 35 doesn't see the playing field more than what he does. Yeah, I guess if any hope, uh, it seems just from watching Quinn in the past, whether it was in uh, in his brief play uh, last year, even in some of the preseason games, he seemed to like uh, uh, the dump-offs, you know, he checks back and, you know, he hits the running backs up a little bit. And I think if, if that's going to be the case, I think this team could really use Jerome Harrison on the field a little more this week. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's, there's one thing about Brady Quinn that, you know, one negative that you can say about him is that he – was checking down just a little too quick. He was processing the game a little quicker than what he needed to during the preseason. Hopefully this time that he's been on the bench and just taking in everything that's happening, running the scout team, maybe he'll slow down himself. And if he does, these plays downfield in intermediate zones, he'll have the opportunity to see them develop and open up, and it'll take some of that check down away that he was really unnecessarily using in the preseason. I agree. And I guess uh, as, as a closing word, I don't know if you have any final words if you want to wrap it up and uh, end, uh, end with a little prediction of your own if you can. Well, I think it's going to be a surprising evening Thursday night at the stadium. You know, we're, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at a struggling Browns offense against a struggling Denver Bronco defense. Brady Quinn steps on the field. It's going to be electricity and excitement. His leadership, these guys in the offense are going to take to that. I think they're going to come out of that gate slow. I think they're going to pick up momentum, and I think you're going to see like a 24-21 type game here. I think it's going to be very close, and it's going to come down to the Browns' defense actually being able to stop a Jay Cutler, the Denver quarterback. I agree. I, th- I think uh, Brandon Marshall might be able to cause some fits, but if we can uh, make someone else uh, try to beat us, I think it, it will be uh, a relatively high-scoring game, like you said. But Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're looking at, you know, it, it, it's obvious that the Browns' defensive backs, these corners, they're a little smaller, and Teams are starting to exploit that size differential. Last couple of games, we're starting to see that, and you know we're gonna you're gonna see the same thing. Denver throws the football; it's what they do. You know, Brandon Marshall he was slapped around a little bit by Miami, so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. I think Denver comes in here knowing that they're gonna have to score, and it's just it could be a shootout right from the gate. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, thanks. A big thanks again to Lane Atkins from the OBR. Uh, again, check out his work uh, at the OBR or Klee.scout.com. Uh, his latest piece, What We've Been Told, is always a great read each week. And, uh, Lane, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And just give me a call. And I'll come on anytime you need me. Excellent. And thank you again to the uh, listeners of WaitingForNextYear.com. And, again, uh, Bob from TheCavsBoard.com. And we'll check you next week. All right. Take care, guys. Strike three called ball game. This has been the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. For complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams, log on to WaitingForNextYear.com. Contact us on the internet. Thank you, and good day.